Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian. In this current series, we've been discussing CIC issue number 67, John the Baptist and Prophets to Nations. We spent the last couple episodes showing how John the Baptist fulfilled the first Elijah role that Jesus mentioned in Matthew. We're also going to talk about the second Elijah role, that is the two witnesses we find in Revelation. Now there's a quote, if you're following along in the article, it's on page two that I'd like to open us with, and then I'll hand it over to Bob. Now you say in your article, John the Baptist came to announce the imminence of the first advent. The witnesses come to prepare for imminent second advent. John pronounced judgment and salvation. The witnesses do the same. Right. So the Elijah role that's predicted in two different places in Malachi um, is fulfilled not by the literal Elijah, the first fulfillment was John the Baptist. Okay. And we know that because Jesus told us that. Right. And like I keep telling people, if Jesus tells us something, he's right. Okay. So it's not our job to argue that. Then the, the second one is also predicted by Jesus himself. And uh, we can't remember exactly what we mentioned last time, but it won't hurt to reiterate that in Matthew 17, we know that Elijah will come, okay? Elijah, who is coming to restore all things, will come yet in the future. That's Matthew 17, 10 and 11. Okay, so what's the second one going to be like? Well, in this article, issue 67, I'm claiming that that role is fulfilled, and we know that it happens in the book of Revelation, and it's these two witnesses. Now you may say, well, why not just one if it's Elijah? Well, John the Baptist wasn't literally Elijah. He was fulfilling the role. In Revelation, the witnesses aren't literally Elijah. They're fulfilling the role. Okay. All right. Now, the Elijah who will come that Jesus talks about, yet future. Revelation 11, 3. And it says, quote, I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So the ministry of the two witnesses are very much like Elijah in the Old Testament, okay? And sackcloth is for mourning for repentance, that this is a horrible situation. Now this happens, the 1260 days is is half of the tribulation period. Okay. Okay, We believe in a literal seven year tribulation that's equivalent to Daniel's 70th week. And this begins with the rapture of the church. Now there's no Elijah role to tell us when the rapture is going to happen. Right. Because the rapture has been imminent 
since the day of Pentecost. Okay, since Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Spirit, we're in the church age, and the rapture could happen at any time during the entire church age. Okay. When it does happen, and we don't know when that'll be, then that will set off the beginning of that seven-year tribulation period. Now, in Revelation, that's often mentioned in three-and-a-half-year parts. Okay, and there's this great tribulation, the, the really bad part of it. So what these witnesses are doing are prophesying for three-and-a-half years. And they're calling out and they're prophesying to Israel about the need for repentance. Remember, Israel makes a covenant with, with the Antichrist, and it's just a horrible thing. Right. And it's going to turn out to be uh, an attack of Satan to try to destroy Israel. The, the world history is littered with people wanting to destroy Israel. Yeah, it sure is. And so the hatred of Israel is motivated by Satan because Israel has always been the key to God's messianic promise. And it's Israel's Messiah who came and died for sins, was raised from the dead, and who bodily ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the one we preach about when we preach the gospel. And he said that he's coming again. So those who are trusting in him will be raptured. The seven-year period will begin, and the great and terrible day of the Lord, when it comes down to that one day, which is God, Christ coming to destroy his enemies and save his people and inaugurate the beginning of the millennium, that event is what these two witnesses are preparing for. Okay. And okay, they're does trying that make to prepare sense? Israel for it. Yes. Right, because that's who's on the earth mm -hmm. that's under attack is Israel. And at the very end, they come to believe in Messiah. All right? right. And so these two witnesses have that Elijah role just before the second advent, the sense of Christ coming to the earth. He, came, he comes for the church at the rapture, but does not come to rule on the earth. At the end of the seven-year period, he comes with the church and saves Israel and destroys her enemies and commences his reign in keeping with the promises of Jesus Christ reigning on a throne from Jerusalem. And there's so promises in the Old and New Testaments about that. So John the Baptist was the Elijah of the first advent. The two witnesses are the Elijah of the second advent. You got it. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And now, um, let me make a word. Now, a lot of people are in various churches that don't believe any of this that I'm saying, or at least most of it. They would believe it. John the Baptist came and, and what the Bible says about his role in the first advent. But they don't believe that there's literal fulfillment of future Bible prophecy. So they don't believe there's a rapture. They don't believe there's a literal Antichrist that's, that's, as revealed in the book of Revelation. They, some believe the Pope is Antichrist. 
we can say, well, the Pope is certainly an Antichrist, right. the spirit of Antichrist, but there's a real Antichrist who is, is talked about in the book of Revelation. And the seven-year period and all the things, the, the seals and the judgments and whatever, some people take all of that and just say it's figurative of things that happened in church history. Yeah, or at least that really it. leaves this big hole, though, with this with this Matthew seventeen ten and eleven. Who well, is this here's a, okay. Person? Here's why I believe in literal future Bible prophecy. We talked about this in one of our previous episodes on this topic. The first advent was filled with literal prophecy from the Old Testament being literally fulfilled. Right. Okay. The one main exception was that. It wasn't exactly Elijah who came. It was John the Baptist in the role of Elijah. Right. Okay? But the Bible tells us about that. But many other things happen, including the betrayal of the Lord and the scattering of the sheep and whatever. I just flipped through Matthew, my uh, iteration of the New American Standard Bible I have here has Old Testament citations, you know, that stand out in all caps. Okay. And so you just flip through Matthew and look at all the fulfilled prophecy or yeah, flip yeah. through Luke or any of the Gospels. There's fulfilled prophecy everywhere. Sometimes in such detail, it's almost shocking how literal the details are. Now, in Matthew, where we have prophecy like that fulfilled in the person of Messiah, Jesus Christ himself is the one who predicted a future Elijah. So we can be certain there is one. Right, because it, there's two prophecies about Elijah in the book of Malachi. Yep. Okay. And the passage in Malachi 4 is about Elijah about Elijah is about the day of God's wrath on his enemies. All right. So that's a reference then to the second coming. Yeah. Let me just read it. Malachi 4, 5. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Malachi 4, 5. All right. So that's a day of judgment and wrath. Now, listeners, Pay attention to this. It's really, really important. It'll help you. Um, one of the reasons the Jewish leadership was offended with Jesus Christ because he was claiming to be the Messiah. They could tell that. But they couldn't understand why he wasn't doing what Messiah was supposed to do. In other words, right. if you're Messiah, all right, when are when are our enemies destroyed? Let's see it. Yeah. When are you going to uh, liberate us from Roman rule? When are you going to sit on the throne of David? When are you right. going to make Israel the great and prominent nation? And all of these prophecies fulfilled. If you're the Messiah, when's it going to happen? Well, what they missed, and this is what offended them was that Messiah came to fulfill prophecy about the suffering servant. Right. Okay. And so the prophecies in Isaiah 
between Isaiah chapters 45 and 53 and thereabouts, even includes salvation of Gentiles and, yes. and a suffering servant. And there are many other such prophecies in the Old Testament now that we're able to see their fulfillment in the first advent. That's what offended the Jews because they wanted somebody to defeat their enemies. All right. Now, replacement theology says there never will be that uh, Messiah who defeats Israel's enemy and reigns on the throne of David. He's reigning in heaven, which we know is true, but that's all there is. There's, there's no millennium. None of these things will literally happen. There's just going to be the end of the age and the eternal order of affairs. That's amillennialism. Others claim that the church is going to reign over the nations and defeat them. That's postmillennialism. Yeah. Okay. None of them believe that the Bible is literally going to be fulfilled as it states in the book of Revelation and in First, Second Thessalonians and Matthew 24 and so forth and many other passages. They don't believe it. So the the one verse that my amillennial friends always go to is is the one where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. How do you answer that? Because it isn't. Okay. The kingdom of God isn't a derivative from amongst the kingdoms of the world. All right? Right. The kingdom of God certainly isn't of this world. Jesus Christ According to Psalm 110, which is cited more than any other psalm in the New Testament, is ruling at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Okay. He is the one who fulfills that now in heaven as reigning. Okay. But he promised that he would come again. Yes. He promised that he would certainly eat uh, the fruit of the, drink the fruit of the vine and eat the bread in the Father's kingdom. Okay. Right? And yeah. so when we have communion, we're looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so what I'm trying to tell people, they, I, maybe they just want an easy way out. But if there was a, an Elijah who came in John the Baptist, to announce the coming of the first advent. And Jesus said that Elijah will come. And we know from Malachi 4 and verse 5 that he will, that Elijah, which will be these two witnesses, are there to announce the imminence of the second advent. Okay. That there's no reason to say, oh, none of that means anything. Right. You're going to put yourself, dear saints, into confusion by trying to take the easy way out. Okay? And you're, and you're also adopting an inconsistent hermeneutic. Yes. In other words, all of the passages that we study in the Bible, we want to find the author's meaning. And the author's meaning is determined by the historical gr grammatical method. And that's how we preach, that's how we study, that's how we learn. And if you want to apply that to prophecy, 
some will say, well, the rules have all changed. It's just non-literal, it's figurative. But before we make that leap, before we change our hermeneutic and engage in what I call special pleading, let's look at what exactly happened with future prophecy from the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the life of Christ and in the book of Acts. Were there any literal fulfillments? Yes, many. Many. In fact, some people have gone through and counted them all. I don't have the list. Right. I'm sure you can get books where you could, where they lay out all the different fulfilled prophecies. Yeah. But case after case after case, there was a literal fulfillment. To the point where liberal theologians will say some of these books must have been written later. They try and change the date of the writing of some of the Old Testament prophets because... You know, oh, yeah, they did that for years. can't even possibly be. There couldn't be any supernatural prophecies. These are too detailed. So they must have been written um, after the fact. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact is that their theories were destroyed by archaeology. Right. The Dead Sea Scrolls, and then some of the citations from before the time of Christ from the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament done in Alexandria. Septuagint means 70. means uh, We're not saying we know that there were exactly 70 scholars, but we do know there was a Greek Old Testament that was cited by the New Testament writers. And so there are big portions of that found well before the time of Christ. The Dead Sea Scrolls, including passages in Isaiah that are Messianic prophecies, are dated before the time of Christ. So that whole theory's been exploded. Yeah. And those liberals had egg all over their faces mm-hmm. for claiming the Bible can be literally true. But let's just go forward a bit here. And I think this is really important because it's hurting an awful lot of Christians. They join creedal churches that say, well, all we know is what our creed says, and our creed doesn't believe in future Bible prophecy. So it can't be true. Right. And so there we end up with post-millennialism, amillennialism, and so on, and all of this confusion, including the claim that the church is going to rule over the world without Christ present to be king. All right? Okay. All because they changed their hermeneutic. And I'm saying, dear listeners, that you have every reason based on what's already happened. Scripture that we now know was extant and literal before Christ came, that was literally fulfilled at the time of Christ and his apostles including places he went, who he preached to, Gentiles repenting, people being healed. Uh, just, just read Matthew, and then when you get done with that, read Luke. Yeah. And read all the Gospels. Just see what God did, down to casting lots for his garments and stuff like that. So uh, we know it was very literal. So now we've gone into prophecy and predictive prophecy and how it was fulfilled in the first advent. Here is my challenge to everyone who says, no, there's going to be no um, millennium. No, there's going to be no 
literal seven-year tribulation. How do you claim the right when interpreting predictive prophecy to suddenly change the rules after the first time around it was literal? Right. What's the answer to that? There, there, I don't know I what mean, it is. Can't, no, I, you know the the one you hear is is one put forth primarily by Doug Wilson, which is we have to interpret scripture partly based on what type of literature it is. It's not exactly how he words it. But okay, I, so I understand people say, well, apocalyptic literature is kind of odd, and so we got to handle it differently. Yeah, but. We, let's let's look back. Now I've debated. I did a public debate. As I think I mentioned this with a uh, person who rejects literal future Bible prophecy, other than basically the return of Christ and the final judgment. But if you go into Acts two, okay, okay and okay. and in Acts one, just look at those passages. And I don't have the have it open right in front of me, but Acts one and Acts two. The disciples didn't give up their belief that when Messiah came, he was going to defeat Israel's enemies and set up the kingdom and reign on the throne. And we can see that when they said, and I'd have to find, get this open in my Bible, maybe you could find it. They said this, now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, I'll get the actual citation. I was thinking the very same thing and already turning to Acts. All right, you um, find maybe, it. Maybe there's two different passages, but I was thinking of the one in Acts chapter 1. One, yeah, Acts 1, that yes. would be right. So verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And he goes on to say, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay. Now, listeners, that was Acts 1, 6 through 8, did you say? Yes. Okay. I used that in my debate with the millennials. He said nothing. And I've had private debates with other Reformed brothers who uh, just accept the creedal answer, which is the church is the new Israel. God has no future for Israel. And I said, well, what are you going to do with this? And they just punt. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. If there really was never going to be a restored kingdom, there really was no future for Israel, Jesus' answer makes no sense. Right. If it's now, here's not for us to know the time, then that implies there is a future time. Yeah, it, it says in the New American Standard, the time that was fixed okay. by the Father. So there's a fixed certain time known by the Father when he restores the kingdom to Israel. All right. Yeah. Now, Jesus said that. Okay. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to say... You can't trust Luke citing Jesus. Right. Well, an evangelical doing that's no evangelical, but a liberal. Yeah. 
right? Exactly. So evangelicals can't say, no, Luke doesn't know what he's talking about when he cites Jesus. Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Luke certainly knows what he's talking about. I've been teaching Luke Acts for decades. I preached through Luke, and now I'm slowly going through Acts in Sunday school. And the accuracy that he has about historical places, persons, times, or uh, events, and so on, is amazing. Luke was a fantastic writer, exactly accurate in what he states about things that he references. Right. Hard to find anything wrong with Luke. In fact, I would challenge critics, especially if you really know the Greek language, go study Luke. It's fantastic literature, and it's very much accurate and historical. Luke cited Jesus saying there's a fixed time for a restoration. Now, what was he talking about? A restoration of the church as the as Israel or ethnic national Israel? Well, to answer that, you have to ask, what were the disciples thinking about when they asked the question based on other things that we already know from Luke? Remember, it's a two-volume work, work yeah. Luke Acts. Well, one of the things that caused them to be confused earlier was why this, things were going the way they were and Israel's leadership was rejecting them and rejecting Messiah. And so when they get to the point, remember we had the road to Emmaus and Jesus explained all the things all the way back from the prophets about him. So Jesus believed in literal Bible prophecy. Yeah. You people that don't, what's wrong with Jesus? Can't Jesus get it right? Yeah. I'm not trying to be mean, but these people have been uh, just poo-pooing me and what I preach like I'm some wild-eyed, what they call dispensationalist, which they, I am, but in their word, dispensationalism is a sign of a ignoramus buffoon that doesn't know what they're talking about. Right. They use it as a pejorative term. And I certainly don't own the, everything anyone who call himself dispensationalist has ever said. But let me get down to essentials then about this. Okay. Jesus interpreted Old Testament prophecy about himself literally. Okay. Yes. When he didn't, he explained. And that had to do with John the Baptist and Elijah. Right. But he explained that. There's going to be a second coming of the Elijah role, and that will be those two witnesses. So when they were asking Jesus, now are you going to restore the kingdom? We know from Luke that a restored kingdom is what they were looking for. And they were at the Last Supper when he said, I won't uh, eat this food or drink this food of vine and eat this bread with you until I do it again in my Father's kingdom. Yeah. And so they were thinking about a literal restored kingdom for ethnic national Israel. When they asked a question, we can prove that from Luke Acts. Mm -hmm. So in that context, Jesus answered, it's not for you to know the times and the epochs, which are fixed by the Father's authority. But you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus affirmed there would be a restored ethnic national Israel that will happen at a fixed time. And as I said in my debates, 
there's no fixed time for a non-event. Right. You can't you can't say Jesus said there's a time fixed, but it's never gonna happen. Yeah. Or they say, Well, Israel got so bad when they persecuted the apostles, then God rescinded that and it's never gonna happen. Well, there you know, so the scary thing about that is if God can rescind his promises to the patriarchs, what hope do we have? Will well, we never sin right. that God <laughs> would just say, I'm done with you too? Oh, Jessica, very good point. Very good point. He's going to rescind? No. And Paul argues about that point in uh, Romans 11. God keeps his promises. Yeah. He didn't rescind his promise to Abram, who becomes Abraham. He didn't, he didn't rescind the promise that Gentiles would hope in Messiah. He didn't rescind the promise that Messiah would come and suffer for sins, the suffering servant. He didn't rescind even prophecies that are given in type, like in Genesis 22 with Isaac, God will provide the lamb. Right. He didn't rescind the promise of the first advent and the virgin birth and the many miracles and the things that Jesus did. And he's not going to rescind uh, the promise of the fact that there will be a kingdom for Israel. And you might, and he told us that, that, that this was a, a promise that was fixed, his time and epoch fixed by the Father's authority. Remember in uh, John 14, well, it's very comforting. When he said, I go to prepare a place for you, yeah. that where I am, there you, there I will come and receive you to myself. Yes. My father's house, there are many dwelling places or mansions, as he and Jesus right. said. Nobody said, if it were not so, I would have told you. Amen. If it were not so, I would have told you. Yeah. And we can apply that to Acts 1, 6 through 8. They asked if there's going to be a restored kingdom. He said, it's not for you to know the times that are fixed by the Father's authority. They were asking about the timing of it. The actuality of the future event is not questioned by the disciples or Jesus. It will happen. I would apply the same thing. If it were not told, so I would have told you. Right. Dear church, if Jesus was never going to reign on the throne of David, literally from Jerusalem, if all the prophecies, including the one in Malachi 4, 5, that there'll be a prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And if all these other promises uh, that were given in the Old and New Testament were never going to happen, Jesus would have told us. And if the church age is all there is and in the final judgment, well, then he would have told us. But throughout the Bible, we're told to focus on what age we're in now. And so what we're saying is this. He says, but, the time is fixed, but you will be my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Here's the reality. From Pentecost until the future rapture, which hasn't happened, and that's an unknown time that sets off the time clock of the seven-year tribulation and then the millennial reign for a thousand years. During that time, entire time, we are to be his witnesses. We're not the two witnesses in Revelation. They haven't come yet. 
The church is his witnesses. Amen. And we're witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And during this entire time, God is gathering out of the mass of people in the world from every tribe and nation, including Jewish people, including national Israel that exists now. That's not the millennial kingdom. That's a nation that's there by God's providence with future promises. God is saving people. And those people are populating the kingdom of God. Right. And they will come, they will be there to participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb as promised by Jesus to his disciples. Both Jews and Gentiles. Yes, the whole, and praise God for that. We'll all participate in this marriage supper of the Lamb. And every time we have communion, we are expressing our faith in literal future Bible prophecy. We're I won't remembering eat this. the Lord's death until he comes. Yeah, until and I eat of the new with you, my father's kingdom. So yeah. I understand people have loyalty to their, their creeds and councils and church tradition. Mm-hmm. But if those things are wrong, which they are manifestly wrong on this point, it's time to say, this is wrong. I won't believe it anymore. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. Amen. And it doesn't bother me. People think I'm a podunk Iowa farmer theologian because I have the audacity to believe in literal future Bible prophecy. It doesn't matter because I know Jesus cannot lie. And he said that God has a fixed time for this future kingdom that's prophesied and predicted in the Bible. All right. Well, that's a good place to wrap this up. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. We want to remind you, you can access this episode and many others at the website, cicministry.org. And we want to remind you to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramis and And Bob Bob DeWay. DeWay. We'll (laughs) see you next week.